everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I'm joined by my producer, Joel, here in our brand new studio. Finally, after months and months and months, we have unveiled the new setup. It is a totally different vibe in here. So if you are listening to this podcast right now, you need to go check out the video version of it. Which yes, is, this would be the video to check out. We totally revamped everything. It's a totally different vibe. We've got the lights out, old English sign behind me. We've got some new skull additions. We have candles. We've got the throne chairs. <laughs> yeah. We've got the whole Baroque Gothic vibe going on in here. And absolutely. I absolutely love it. it. It fits lights out perfectly. And I hope you all love it as much as we do. And we also got a bunch of candles surrounding our whole area. You guys can't see it. Uh, it's off camera, but... It looks like if you walked into this room, we're having like a seance or something. Pretty much. Pretty much. (laughs) It's kind of, uh, yeah, everybody that walks in here pretty much turns around and walks right back out because (laughs) it's it's honestly got kind of a a creepy vibe in here. Yeah. Just overall. Also wanted to thank the lovely Blair Fowler. I don't know if any of you have heard of her before, but we'll link her information below. She's a longtime YouTuber, social media star, really, and she is an interior designer. And she actually helped us sort of bring my vision of creating this sort of haunted house, haunted mansion, gothic, baroque look to life. And without her, it would not have turned out as good as it did. So thank you so much, Blair. Yeah, really thank you, appreciate Blair. It. But we are so excited to finally be back. And for those that haven't been, you know, are rel- relatively new to the show, we, we took a couple weeks off over the holidays and, in order to make this move. And if, if you know anything about podcasting, you know how much equipment is involved in this and just the set build Mm -hmm. and testing everything it takes a long time so we're so happy to finally be back we've missed you yes hopefully you've missed us because (laughs) it has been very hard not to podcast these last couple of weeks and you know it, it was a great holiday season hopefully you had a great time with friends and family and oh during that time it was actually really cool our podcast peaked at number two top overall podcast on spotify can you believe that oh i felt like i was dreaming when, when seriously we were i was like that. this is a christmas gift from from the heavens like what's going yeah. on here because we just woke up one morning and we looked at the spotify rankings and there was lights out right under joe rogan the, the king of podcasting so unbelievable and yeah. i just want to thank everybody out there who's supported yes. the show from the thank very you. beginning and and just have been along for the ride and seen sort of the evolution of lights out and now we're in this next chapter of the show in 2022 we're just so excited to see where you know our stories and travels take us on this dark journey that we're all on together but today we are going to be diving into the unexplained phenomenon of highway 666 which i didn't even know was a real thing until i discovered highway 666 which now it is actually us 491 but that doesn't stop the amount of experiences paranormal to accidents and just all sorts of very bizarre activity that's taken place on this stretch of highway so that's what we're going to be diving into today but this episode of the podcast is brought to you by purple hellofresh and raycon so highway 666 is a 193 mile stretch of road that travels through rugged desert flat plains and the vast wilderness of the American Southwest. The road starts in the farming town of Monticello, Utah. 
at the base of the Abajo Mountains. It curves through the southwest corner of Colorado, then passes through the Ute Mountain Indian Reservation and the Navajo Nation, and it finally shoots south through New Mexico, where it ends in the city of Gallup. And since it was the sixth highway off US 66, this was the reason it was given the number 666 by the American Association of State Highway Officials after its construction in 1926. But many, as you can probably imagine, were quick to point out that 666, that this number was the number of the beast in Christian mythology. And in the book of Revelations, if you ever read the Bible, the number 666 is given to a beast that comes out of the abyss in an apocalyptic vision. So the number has become associated with the Antichrist or the devil. And that's how the highway earned the nickname Devil's Highway, along with Beast of a Highway, or Satan's Highway, or just straight up the highway to hell. And as soon as the highway took on the number, people began paying attention to the strange and haunting things that happened along the long stretch of road. It became impossible to ignore the unexplained accidents, UFO activity, and paranormal events that happened out in the barren tracts of land. And most of the road rests in the middle of nowhere with endless desert plains ahead and behind. Drivers claim to feel uneasy along the road, especially while traveling alone, feeling like something terrible might just happen at any moment. And superstitious drivers avoid the highway entirely. A report by the US Department of Transportation stated that people refuse to travel on the road, not because of safety, but because they believe the devil controlled everything that happened along the highway. New Mexico's former governor, Bill Richardson, pushed for the road to be renumbered. As part of his campaign for governor, he promised to renumber the highway as a part of a larger plan in order to improve its conditions and build better relations with the Navajo Nation. Much of the highway had been forgotten and deteriorated over the years, especially the stretch of road through the Navajo Nation. Although the Navajo Nation doesn't share the same superstitions towards the number 666, they knew that its bad reputation was a reason for its neglect. So the road was eventually changed to US 491 in 2003 after decades of accidents, deaths, and unexplained phenomena. The old historic signs still remain along the side of the road reminding drivers that they're traveling along the former highway known as Highway 666. And the signs are kept around to help drivers who use outdated maps and atlases, but they also stand as a reminder of strange events that have terrorized travelers for almost a century. Throughout its bizarre history, many notes the stretch of highway had an above average rate for accidents and deaths, and many point their fingers at alcohol abuse, but others think there might be something more supernatural at play. Through the 1900s, any given year saw nearly 15 to 20 deaths along Highway 666. Nearly 75% of the deaths were hitchhikers, and many of them had been drinking before they died. DWI checkpoints now riddle many parts of the highway, hoping to decrease the number of accidents on the road, even though alcohol might be the number one cause for death along the highway. Many people believe that alcoholism is a curse brought on by the number 666. Coincidentally, the death toll has changed in the past few decades after it was renamed. In 2000, there were 489 accidents reported, 
and 13 fatalities along US 666 between mile markers 0 and 69. In 2007, after the highway changed to US 491, the number of accidents dropped to 20, with only one fatality. Some believe the number of deaths dropped because of the DWI checkpoints and the highway improvements made at its busiest interchanges. But others believe it's because the devil has less of a grasp on the highway now that it's no longer numbered after the beast. But many claim that even after the numbers changed, the evil energy still lingers and that a simple change in numbers doesn't break a curse. Many of the highway improvements can be credited to the Navajo Nation, which had pushed for better highway conditions for years. The route travels through Ute Mountain Indian Reservation, the Navajo Nation Reservation, and passes the sacred mountain of Shiprock that's governed by the Navajo. This massive mountain sits towards the center of the Four Corners region, where New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, and Colorado meet. Much of the area is occupied by the Navajo Nation, nearly 27,000 square miles, and much of it straddles Highway 666. Back in the spring of 1993, this area was hit with the Hanta virus, a rare viral infection spread by rodents. And over the course of a year, it mysteriously killed several healthy teenagers and athletes in the area. And some locals accused the cursed highway for the spread of this virus. The Navajo people have lived in the area since roughly 1400 AD. And many Navajo myths and legends mention Shiprock Mountain and the surrounding lands. Their name for the mountain roughly translates to rock with wings. It's believed that the peak of Shiprock brought the Navajo to the southwest centuries ago. And one story tells of the Navajo living on the mountain's peak when they first arrived. They had only come down to plant their fields and retrieve water from the base of the mountain. And one day, as the men of the tribe went down to gather food, the peak of the mountain was struck by lightning, causing a massive explosion. The trail to where they lived on the mountain was completely destroyed, and only a sheer cliff remained. So the women and children were stranded at the top, and the men had no way back up. In the end, the women and children slowly starved to death on the peak of the mountain. And from then on, the presence of people at the peak of Shiprock was forbidden. They feared if anyone returned to the peak, they might stir up the ghosts of the dead. But many climbers have enjoyed making their way to the top for years. Seven challenging climbs lead to the top of Shiprock, and only the most experienced climbers ever made it to the peak. But climbing Shiprock became illegal in 1970. After three serious injuries, the Navajo Nation banned rock climbing on Shiprock and all the climbing areas in their territory. But despite the ban, people try to sneak by authorities and still try to climb Shiprock to this very day. Another Navajo legend of Shiprock mentions bird monsters that once nested on its peak. The birds were massive, and they fed on human flesh. As the story goes, a great warrior killed two of the adult bird monsters and changed two young ones into an eagle and an owl. Many other Navajo stories mention the peak and its mystical history found its way into the chants that have been passed down for generations. The peak of Shiprock stands as one of the most important geological landmarks along Highway 666 and a sacred place for the Navajo. But as sacred as the land might be, many travelers can't shake the dread of Highway 666. Throughout the past century, Highway 666 has gotten the reputation of being one of the most haunted highways in America. 
One unnamed eyewitness talked about their terrible experience on the highway during one spring trip through the country. They traveled from Albuquerque, New Mexico to Seattle, Washington, and along the way they drove along a section of Highway 666. Most of the drive was uneventful until they got to Cortez, Colorado. From there until Provo, Utah, a horrible feeling came over them. It was a heavy, anxious feeling that they couldn't shake. They began having panic attacks as they drove along and experienced an irrational fear of dying. Specifically, they thought someone, somehow, was going to murder them. On top of all this, they thought they were going insane because they were so terrified and they were self-aware enough to know that their emotions were out of control. They kept having visions of other drivers running them off the road into the deep canyons where no one would ever find them. On the first night of the drive, they pulled off of the highway and spent the night at a motel in Green River, Utah, but the feelings of dread didn't go away. As they tried to fall asleep, the weight of dread kept bothering them. On the next day, the feelings didn't begin to fade until they drove through Provo, Utah, and luckily, by the time they got to Idaho, the feelings of dread and panic had mostly disappeared. But by that point, they were far away from Highway 666. During their entire journey, they never saw anything supernatural. There were no ghosts or apparitions, and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. But they had never experienced a drive like this before. Whatever happened to them is still a mystery, but the driver promised themselves that they'd never drive along that stretch of highway ever again. Unlike the unnamed eyewitness, many people have seen apparitions, ghosts, and even haunted vehicles along the highway. The most notorious is the mysterious black sedan, also known as Satan sedan, that's terrorized countless drivers over the years. Most of Highway 666 is a long stretch of road on a flat land where you can see for miles. And at any given area along the road, you can see the horizon in front of you and behind you. Witnesses have claimed to spot a black sedan appearing in their rearview mirror, usually near dusk or at night. Many report the car being a 1930s vintage Pierce Arrow Roadster, which is an old-fashioned two-seater car with a convertible roof and a spare wheel attached to its side. When it begins its pursuit, the headlights flash and the engine roars as the black car catches up to its next victim. It usually sneaks up with its headlights off before flickering them on and gunning it towards the car ahead. And no matter how fast you drive, the black sedan will always catch up. When the sedan has gotten close enough for the driver to see inside, some report that a black shadowy figure sits behind the steering wheel. Others say that the driver's seat is completely empty and the car looks to be driving itself. The black sedan will rear end or sideswipe the driver until they're forced off of the road or lose control and end up in a lethal accident. And according to legend, it's been credited with at least five deaths along Highway 666. As for the survivors, they've seen the black sedan drive off and vanish into thin air within seconds. If that wasn't enough to keep you from traveling Highway 666, well, there's another haunted vehicle that's seen along the highway, and it's a massive 18-wheeler speeding down the narrow lanes. Witnesses have claimed to see a bright flash and a semi-truck appear out of nowhere 
with a demon driver behind the wheel. The driver holds an internal grudge against the living, so anyone they see along the road could be their very next victim. Linda Dunning, the author of Lost Landscapes, Utah's Ghosts, Mysterious Creatures, and Aliens, told a story of her husband traveling down Highway 666 and his encounter with a demon semi-truck. She said that he was on his way to Texas, traveling on a stretch of highway toward Gallup, New Mexico. The road was completely empty, and he hadn't seen another car for miles. Suddenly, a massive semi-truck came out of nowhere, traveling at ridiculous speeds. Sparks flew from the wheel wells, and flames burst out of the smokestack. And after seeing the monstrosity barreling towards him, her husband pulled to the side of the road and ran to a safe area in the desert, where he watched the truck fly past him at nearly 130 miles an hour. It then proceeded to swerve between lanes until it disappeared into the distance. Some have even seen the truck smash into other vehicles with such violence that the victims in their cars have exploded into non-existence. Besides a few skid marks on the asphalt, there is no trace of the vehicles left behind. People are warned not to slow down or stop along the highway. It's safer to keep going or stop at the next closest city rather than strand yourself along the accursed road. But many people have had car troubles, so they've had no choice but to stop. Cars have been known to overheat or have a tire blowout mysteriously, and many don't see it as a coincidence. They always give credit to the curse of Highway 666. Another reason drivers shouldn't stop along the highway is that feral dogs have terrorized travelers for decades. Known as demon dogs, or the hounds of hell, these vicious beasts have been spotted prowling along the side of the road waiting for their next prey. These dogs have bloodshot eyes and their jowls drip with drool. They wear a short coat of black fur that shows off their lean muscles, and they can run supernaturally fast. Some say they can match the pace of a car at highway speeds. They snap their jaws and bark at passing cars, and if they decide to attack, they move in a large pack. Their jaws and claws are strong enough to slash through tires, and they can even lunge through car windows and rip drivers to shreds. Several motorists have claimed to have run over the hounds in defense, but when they look in the rearview mirror, these dogs get up and run away unharmed. Supposedly, a pack of dogs ambushed three members of a biker gang along Highway 666 several years ago. As the pack hunted them down, they lost control of their bikes and crashed along the side of the road. They tumbled across the ground, but before they could get up, the dogs were already on them. The dogs pounced on the bikers and tore through their leather jackets, and they let out a low, deep growls with their teeth sunk deep into the biker's skin. They chewed the arms off two bikers and ripped most of the face off of a third before darting back into the desert. Luckily, not all of the unexplained activity along Highway 666 is as malicious as the Hounds of Hell. One of the most common sightings along the road is the phantom hitchhikers that point their thumbs out towards cars. Some have occasionally caused accidents by running out into the road. But there's one spirit in particular who doesn't seem hostile, and she might be one of the only friendly spirits along the highway. Many drivers report seeing a strange girl standing quietly where the road meets the desert. Bright glowing orbs float across the dark highway at night, just before the young girl appears. She's dressed in a white nightgown, and her pale face shines in the moonlight. 
She wears a sad, unnerving expression on her face, like something is wrong. So many drivers pull over to ask if she's okay, but she's mute and never responds. And after a moment, she dematerializes and disappears from view. As far as the reports go, she's never harmed anyone along the road. And many think she's the soul of a victim who died on the highway a long, long time ago. Now, if you thought spirits, hellhounds, and haunted vehicles were enough, well, just wait till you hear about the UFOs that have been seen and, of course, shapeshifters. Before we get into that, I'm going to take a quick break. Thank our sponsors for today. One of the most interesting things to me about Highway 666 is that there's a phenomenon that many drivers have experienced called time distortion, or it's also known as lost time. I'm a believer in many things that fall into the paranormal realm, including UFOs, aliens, ghost spirits, all that kind of thing. But I also believe in energy. I believe energy is all around us and we all have the ability to interact with it and we all have the ability to harness it and use it however way we want. And one of the things I believe is that I think there is truly vortexes of energy that are found around the planet and they can be associated with structures. They can be associated with natural elements. And I think in the case of highway 666, I believe it runs through areas where there are these energy vortexes, which cause this time distortion to occur. There's a lot of reports of drivers completely losing track of time and others have had hours added to their commute with no recollection of the drive at all. Some have even teleported from one area along the highway to another with no memory of what happened in between. It's very possible that in these energy vortexes that time is being distorted as you're moving through these pockets. And it's also possible that maybe where these energy vortexes are, they could have this ability to sort of portal you from one place to another. And perhaps this is where UFOs sort of enter into our reality and come in from other realities or other dimensions. So it's very possible that Highway 666, because it runs through some of these energy vortexes or portals, that this is why people experience that time distortion, as well as see a number of different types of UFOs and other paranormal activity. Some even believe that victims of time loss were actually abducted by aliens and had their memories wiped when they were dropped back to Earth. As you probably know from a lot of the alien abduction stories that we have covered here on Lights Out, you know that one of the number one things that people who claim to have been abducted have said is that there was this loss in time. It was like they were here in one second and then one second later they were in a completely different place and they had just experienced all of this in a matter of maybe what felt like eternity to them during it. But then when they actually looked down at their watch, it was a matter of seconds or minutes that went by in real time. So it's very interesting that a lot of people do believe that maybe these people experiencing time distortion could have been potentially abducted by whether it's aliens or interdimensional beings or who knows what else. I mean, there's lots of possibilities here, including potentially government secret projects, but we won't go down that rabbit hole right now. Many also believe that the loss in time memory are symptoms of when UFOs use their anti-gravity systems in order to manipulate space and time, which allows them to sort of travel 
at these really supernatural speeds. I mean, there's really no way to explain it. They, these crafts can fly at insane amounts of time. I mean, there's, I believe there's a, a UFO video out in Utah and I, I'll have to look at the location in relation to highway 666, but there are these filmmakers that were out there and they were just filming B roll footage for some film they were working on. And in post they discovered that while they were flying their drones over this area of desert in Utah, there was a flying saucer, and it's hard to even really tell how big it is, came flying in from one corner of the desert across their camera lens and out in a matter of seconds. And then you can see it over in the distance. So the footage of this UFO that I'm talking about that was captured by the drone, the owner of that footage, Brian Hanley, who actually captured it, has actually made the footage available for download from the, the actual YouTube video he posted so that people could analyze it and try to make sure that this wasn't faked and that this wasn't CGI or anything like that. And so people have actually done that and they've actually analyzed this footage of this flying saucer that flew in and out of frame in a matter of seconds. And they calculated that this thing was moving at like 3,500 miles per hour, which is absurdly fast for any sort of object, let alone an object that could be piloted by something. I mean, there's no known technology that I'm aware of where uh, a human or anything, you know, it could have been unmanned of some sort, but 3,500 miles per hour is extremely fast. And I can't think of anything off the top of my head that could fly that quickly and move that across that sort of distance that fast. And this was out in near area 51, uh, I believe. So just like this UFO that was captured in Utah, many of the UFOs seen along highway 666 have been seen with the capability of instant acceleration where they go from a stationary point in the sky to incredible speeds in a matter of seconds. The ships can hover in place and then they instantly blast off disappearing into the stars. And this suggests that the UFOs obviously use some sort of anti-gravity technology because instant acceleration to Mach five speeds would instantly tear a normal spaceship apart under the stress of G force. So UFO enthusiasts suspect that the ships use some sort of anti-gravity technology to bypass traditional laws of physics. Others suggest that the UFOs use something called space-time metric engineering, a technology that creates space-time bubbles in order to defy physics. But either way, these alien technologies are accused of causing time to shift, dilate, or even disappear completely along Highway 666. And supposedly thousands of travelers along this highway have reported a loss of time at some point or another. Besides the fear of what flies in the sky, many along Highway 666 fear what's on the land, especially when passing through the Navajo Nation territory. A common complaint near this area is the presence of skinwalkers or shapeshifters. Navajo legend says that the skinwalkers are evil witches, man or women, who can transform, possess, or disguise themselves as an animal. They often use the skin of dead animals to shapeshift, and the Navajo word for one version of skinwalkers roughly translates to, by means of it, it goes on all fours. They are seen as the opposite of Navajo cultural values. The Navajo healers and workers are seen as medicine men and women who do good for the community, while the witches and skinwalkers are evil people who perform twisted ceremonies and manipulate magic to do their evil bidding. The leaders willing to take on the responsibility of magic are usually strong in character and spirit, but magic can sometimes corrupt the weak, turning them into witches and skinwalkers. Not much is known about skinwalkers since many traditional Navajo people 
are against talking openly about them. Many believe the discussions about evil Navajo witches need to stay within the community, and some believe that simply talking about the subject has the chance of summoning a skinwalker. Many of the skinwalkers along Highway 666 are seen as coyotes, wolves, and crows. For wolves and coyotes, the skinwalkers have increased stamina, nocturnal vision, enhanced hearing and a sense of smell, and the endurance to run long distances across the desert. In animal form, they'll run out in front of cars and switch back to human form, causing drivers to swerve out of the way and panic. And other times they materialize in the back seats of cars, so drivers are warned to make sure there's no room for them to sit inside your vehicle. Outside of Navajo folklore, many think the only way to kill a skinwalker is to use silver bullets or bullets coated in white ash. And many believe that if you make eye contact with one, they'll do everything in their power to kill you. Some signs of a skinwalker nearby are dead animal pelts on the ground, the rancid smell of a dead animal, or a metallic smell that's impossible to ignore. Anyone who sees or smells these signs along Highway 666 is usually moments away from serious danger, and skinwalkers have actually been reported as one of the main causes of fatal accidents along Highway 666. And to end this episode, I wanted to share a story I found on Reddit from a user that goes by E. Parkhose, and he tells a story of a tow truck driver and his strange experiences along the highway. After I got out of high school, I had a lot of trouble finding work. I'd had some problems at home that had led me to being something of a firebug, and while I never did any serious damage, it gave me enough of a permanent record to make me a risk to any potential employer. I didn't want to keep working at my crappy burger flipping job, so I called around to what I'm pretty sure was almost 200 businesses all around Albuquerque and beyond. The one that wound up hiring me was a towing company all the way out in Gallup, run by a tough old Hopi guy named Albert. I was more than a little reluctant to take the job because, you know, it's Gallup, the murder capital of the state. But the pay was surprisingly good, and so I packed up my things and moved two hours west. I didn't know jack about towing, so for the first few weeks I rode along with Albert while he showed me the ropes. This sounds like it'd be easy or even fun, but he was one hell of a hard ass. The kind of guy who'd let you do the whole setup before tearing it all down because you messed up some tiny thing. At the time, it seemed like he was just a sadistic asshole, but looking back, I can see that he was just safety-oriented and worried that a clueless newbie would screw up big time if he wasn't hard on me. And to be honest, he was probably right. Anyway, the story I want to tell took place after I'd been working at the towing company for a month. It was January 11, 2004. I was staring at a calendar on the wall waiting for my shift to end when the call came in. I got in on the second ring, silently cursing, getting a new job at 4.45. Hello, this is Lome Kama, towing. How may I help you today? Is that Albert there, the man on the other end of the line asked, and he spoke with a strong Texan accent. Yeah, I can get him on if you want to speak to him, or I can take a note. I opened the desk drawer and produced a notepad and then pulled a pen out of my pocket. Noah, I just wanted to make sure this was the right place, he coughed. This is Officer Peterson speaking. There's a car off the road near the turnoff to Service Road 9, and we need it taken to storage. All right, we'll get out there soon, I said. The call ended and I set the phone back on the cradle, blowing wind out of my cheeks. I hated having to take cars from off of Route 666 to storage because they always ended up in missing persons cases. I'd already helped with two in the last month, and going through records on my break told me 
that there had been more than a dozen in the last two years alone. It was always the same. The res cops or sometimes state police would find a car in the ditch somewhere on the highway, doors standing wide open and all the people gone, their tracks disappearing a few hundred feet into the desert. Sometimes there was even a second car that pulled over to help them in a similar state. No one ever found the bodies. Just then, the door to the bathroom opened and Albert stepped out, cinching his belt with a slight frown on his face, saying, Somebody call? Oh yeah, I said, another car off the road near service route 9. Albert sighed, damn. He checked his watch. Do you want to come? I can do it myself. Nah, I really didn't have much to do other than watch TV and I had a feeling that Albert would judge me for dipping out. Albert shrugged and walked towards the garage. I scrambled after him, managing to catch the door just before it closed and barreled through. I locked it behind me, mindful of how I had been chewed out the last time I had left it unlocked, and then hurried over to the passenger door and scrambled inside. Albert had already gotten the engine started and didn't even wait for me to buckle my seatbelt before putting the truck in gear. The truck rumbled through the side streets before turning onto the highway. I filled Albert in on the brief call, and then we drove in silence, myself staring out into the darkening sky. The stars were starting to show, and even with the light level there, were dozens more than were when I lived in the city. After about 20 minutes of driving, we rolled through the small town of Twin Lakes, more of a cluster of buildings in a small town and I turned my focus to the road in front of us. The turnoff that the officer had reported is only a couple of minutes beyond the town, and I wanted to get a good look at the crash site so we could get out. Easier. The lights of a stopped state police car came into view, and Albert slowed the truck, no doubt wondering, as I was, why there was only a state car there. We were a good way onto the reservation, and Navajo cops preferred to handle these cases themselves without getting the state authorities involved. The two other times I'd seen cases like this, the cars at the scene were reservation police. And even then, there was always two. So this was weird. The truck slowed to a stop beside the car, and Albert rolled the window down, looking over to the other vehicle's open window. I leaned forward and stared over the police car, into the Osequia beyond. There was a red minivan with its front buried in the dirt, and all of its doors wide open and junk spewing out onto the ground. This was going to be a tough job. Howdy, your officer Peterson know? Albert asked. The officer turned to look at him wearing a trooper hat and dark shades so large that you could barely make out his sickly-looking skin around his beard. He looked like he had been living in a cabin in the hills for the last year. A few long seconds after Albert had spoken to him, he nodded in such a robotic manner that it reminded me of druggies that I had gone to school with. Albert's eyes flicked from the car to the wrecked van. You're sure we can get this one moving and it won't disrupt anything? Have the text gotten out here yet? The officer nodded stiffly again and Albert shot me a worried look. As I previously mentioned, I had a fairly serious record and so did my boss. Pissing off some nutjob cop would be real bad for the both of us, but so would cleaning up a crime scene. After nearly a minute of tense silence, I felt something push into my side and I looked down and saw Albert palming his flip phone towards me. I grabbed it and held it in my hand, uncertain of what to do. Go set up the hazard cones, he said, speaking louder than he normally did. I turned and popped the door, sliding out of the seat. Before I was all the way out, he whispered, Call the non-emergency line and ask if there's an officer here. I nodded, closing the door and scurried to the back of the truck. I dialed the number for the dispatch line and shoved the phone against my ear with my shoulder, grabbing the traffic cones and flashlight that were kept in a storage panel in either hand. I set out the cones on the road south and shuffled around the periphery of the headlights to set up the other pair. All this time, the obscenely loud please hold message is blaring in my ear so loud that I'm wincing and it's messing up my hearing. 
That's why I didn't hear it at first. As I stood back up after dropping the last cone, I heard what sounded like a garbled shout coming from off to my left. A chill ran up my spine, and I turned to look at the direction it came from, the flashlight following my gaze. That's when the chill turned to full-blown ice clutching around my heart, because there's a coyote perched on the far side of the Asequa. Its fur is a mangy mixture of yellow and brown. Its eyes are terrifying, full of hunger, and what I swore could be hatred. Its mouth opened like a door falling off of its bearings. I can't get the hazards on, it said. It, I mean the coyotes don't have voices, but even if they did, I'm sure this one's wouldn't be normal. It'd be like a serial killer's or something I don't know. It's weird, I know, but my brain was going 12 ways at once, and that's what my memory of that moment was. It sounded deep, but shallow at the same time, just wrong. I took several steps back, and the sudden brightness of the headlights made everything to the left of the animal invisible. Boss, I shouted, nervously glancing over at the cab of the truck. Boss! What boy? Albert's voice turned from annoyance to fear in a single syllable. The coyote easily leapt over the Osequa in a single bound and started to inch towards me. Aw, oh, shit, shit, don't turn your back on it, but don't look in its eyes either. Back up, yeah, back up towards the truck slowly. Turn and you'll die. I started to creep back, every fiber of my being screaming for me to run for my life as Albert's words faded into an intense, harrowing silence. I barely kept myself from turning and fleeing. Turn and you'll die, I repeated myself, keep backing up. The coyote kept inching towards me, the paw scuffling across the pavement. It opens its mouth and repeated the phrase with the same limp motion. It was getting closer, and I picked up the pace, moving as fast as I could. The coyote was getting closer and closer, and a feeling ran down my back as the panic and fear seizing me increased to nearly petrifying levels. I didn't want to, but I just knew, like the sort of way you know something's horribly going to happen, that you can't do anything to stop it, that I'm going to run. I tensed, hoping to God or anyone else listening that I could make it to the truck before the coyote does, but then I felt my legs come out from under me, and I fell backward, my eyes still locked on the animal. It tensed and started to lunge as my ass hit the pavement, and then the air was filled by the crack of gunshots. Air whooshed by my head as I flipped around and sprinted for the truck, ripping the door open and leaping inside, and in what felt like a single movement. The truck flew backward, and screams and the sound-scraping tires filled the air. I slammed the door just in time as Albert threw us into a multi-point turn and roared back down the road to gallop. I turned in my seat and stared back towards the stopped car. The state police car was shaking violently, but I couldn't see anything else through the tinted windows. As the car slowly faded out of view, I see, or at least I think I saw, I'm not entirely sure, the coyote stepping out on the street on two legs. Like I said, I'm not entirely sure what I saw, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. As we hurtled down the road, I sat in stunned silence for what must have been something like 15 minutes. What was that? I stammered, the shock keeping me from getting my words out, and Albert grunted. It talked. How the hell was it talking? I asked, unable to stem the tide of thoughts. Did you shoot it? You shot it, right? Then how did it... It jumped over me, I think. Yeah, it did, and then it attacked the officer. I kept rambling on as we raced through the city, doing what in hindsight must have been 20 miles above the limit. As soon as we were back at the shop, Albert jumped out and ran to the opening of the garage and dropped the metal covering thing over it. He came back and turned off the car, gesturing for me to follow him. I did, and we went back into the office where he made a pot of coffee, poured it, and handed me a cup. 
By this point, I had sat down in the waiting area and Albert sat in a chair a few spots away. Drink up. You can't go to sleep tonight, he said. How come, I asked, hoping to finally get an answer. Albert sighed and then said, Look, all I know is what we saw was some Navajo spirit. They're faster and stronger than we are, and if you see one, your only hope is to get to a truck and get out of there. They're a mix of human and animal, and I think they have a chase instinct like coyotes and wolves do. That's why I told you not to run, because I thought that it would. Anyway, the only thing you can do is run. You can't shoot it, at least not without special bullets. Regular ones just piss them off like the officer found out. And then when you get to a solid building, you close and lock all the entrances, cover any windows, and stay up until dawn the next morning. God willing, they'll leave you alone. If you see one again, talk to a shaman. He stood up and shuffled off to the back room, calling over his shoulder. Don't bother asking. I don't know anymore. He came back with some blankets and rags and we covered all the windows and then stayed up talking for the rest of the night. The next day I went back home and slept for a full day and we didn't take any calls on the res for the next week, partly because of the incident and partly because of a massive pileup on Route 66 near the state line, and that kept us busy for the next couple days. As a footnote, in August of that year I was talking to a reservation cop near another disappearance case and he told me that back in January, a state policeman had turned up at the door of a trailer a few miles away in the middle of the night, buck naked, but without a scratch on him. When they found his car it was covered in blood, a mixture of coyote and human, but none of it was his. It entered the pantheon of weird shit that happened on the Devil's Highway, the first such entry that I had any part in. But that's a story for a different time. Wow. That's a wild story. Totally. Pretty believable one at that, too. I mean, obviously, it's an anonymous Reddit user, but, I mean, the amount of detail put into that and yeah. really sees he was just telling you, like, what he saw. Mm-hmm. And he even said he wasn't sure if he saw the coyote get up on two legs, but he swears up and down that this coyote spoke to him, which is super, super <laughs> creepy, man. That is. That's crazy. Ugh. And this is just one story of countless others that are out there of people yeah. who have encountered shapeshifters or skinwalkers out there in these long stretches of just land, mm-hmm. especially around reservations and things like that. So I couldn't help but notice how many similarities there were to Skinwalker Ranch with, right. with this highway. And kind of seems like they both start with the Navajo land or maybe this interdimensional doorway or portal was there before the Native Americans, uh, you know, occupied the land. But with Skinwalker Ranch, like kind of like a similar, you know, similar sighting, similar way yeah. it all came about. Well, it's the same. It's similar. It's in the same area pretty much. Oh, yeah. If right. you think about where Skinwalker Ranch is, I mean, it's all in this area. It's mm-hmm. in the southwest four corners area of of Colorado, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico. Yeah. And this is where it's at. I mean, I, I want to go out there and see this for myself. Because that's, that's the thing is like, it's one thing to take people's word for it and, you know, listen to other stories. But it's another to actually go out there and and you know, just drive out there and see what happens, you know, (laughs) at the same time, it's like just the sheer amount of reports of people of of experiencing strange things and Uh time distortion, UFOs. I mean, there's clearly something very special about 
this area of land. I yeah. mean, the, just the amount of paranormal activity that happens out there is just extraordinary. And that's what lends me to believe that there is something far more advanced and intricate happening sort of behind the scenes, or maybe it's something that we just can't see with the naked eye. You know, it's something that as humans, we're not able to perceive this energy hotspot that is is occurring out here in the middle of the desert in these long stretches. You know, you wonder why there's not all of these people living out there. Why haven't we expanded and, and built built up civilization out there? Right. Is that for a reason? Obviously the Native Americans have their reservations out there and and you know I'm a strong believer that, you know, that's their their land and let's let them, you know, they should hold on to that land. We shouldn't come in and just build all around them and take more from them than we already have. But it's it's very interesting to me. I mean, all of Native American culture and, you know, if you call it folklore or whatever, I think is very interesting. And I do believe there's a lot of truth to their stories. And I think that a lot of their experiences are, you know, things that we should take seriously, like, and not just like laugh it off as like, oh, this is a silly story right. about, you know, a man coyote, yeah. <laughs> you know, scaring right. people like this is, this could be absolutely real for all we know. I mean, there could be absolutely this sort of entities mm -hmm. that that exists well, in the world i mean you well, just don't know yeah and what we know about the navajo tribe or native americans in general i mean the rituals that they perform to they're like protecting their land and are they having an impact on all the activity that's there or was this like a specific hot spot geographically uh you know that was there before them it's just such a big question like, yeah, I mean, I, I I would think that my my opinion of that is is I think they were drawn to this area for a reason, that they were here in the first place for a reason. Like mm -hmm. they knew, I mean, you can go into to their cultural history and look at you know the beginnings, the origin stories of of these different tribes, and you start realizing that they were already in touch with these elements of magic and elements of just the natural ebbs and flow of energy of the earth and the planet and you know how connected with nature and animals they are and spirits and things like that is very interesting so if there's one form of of magic or energy healing or whatever you want to call it that i believe could absolutely be real it's it's the native americans i think they absolutely have knowledge and and abilities far beyond uh any of us you know right. sort of ordinary folk have because they've just been so I mean, this is stuff they've carried for mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of years. It's been passed down and the knowledge that they have yeah. about the land and the, the animals and the way that they connect with both and the way that they revere them in, in such a strong way, I think mm -hmm. is, is it all lends to, you know, sort of the power that they hold, I guess yeah. you could say. So they were truly some spiritual people. You yeah. Know? And they still, they still are. I mean, like this, obviously like with, as times have modernized and technology and you know they're you know some do still live like uh how their elders used to live and ancestors live but um i mean a lot of them still still believe in the the stories and still believe in you know these are things you know skinwalkers are real there are you know something that you need to to worry about that people you know it's just like when we look at any other sort of magician or whatever you want to call it, whether you look at alistair crowley or uh, some of the others out there and you look at uh, you know how magic is used right like the magic or energy are basically the same and you can use it for good or evil and some people choose to use it for evil or use it to benefit themselves and then others use it for good and to help others to help 
bring people together. So it's it's just one of those things. It's it's kind of a the classic story of good versus evil in a way. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting to me. I'd love to learn more about you know sort of the Navajo origin stories and learn more about some of the other you know paranormal elements. I mean, there's you know drawings of UFOs on rocks if you go look at the aboriginals that's another culture you could look into in the future yeah. and i mean they they were you know they've got straight up aliens drawn on rocks like wow from thousands and thousands of years ago and star people and like it's it's endless the amount of knowledge that we all kind of take for granted that they hold is yeah beyond comprehension really it's 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 truly amazing stuff so one thing i, I absolutely love is the just sort of the open-mindedness that they that they bring is just like keep your mind open to everything and you know don't be so pessimistic and so uh-huh. like oh this is not real this is bullshit it's like how do you know right you right. don't know i mean there's a lot of things if you think about our life up to this point that we've thought is concrete real mm-hmm. that you can believe in you can trust that later on we have learned to be completely false complete bullshit people lying government yeah. lying. i mean it's endless yeah i definitely. don't want, i don't want to get too far down down the rabbit hole with that but yeah it's definitely important to keep an open mind open mind is a good 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 mind to have for sure so that is where we will wrap up today's episode of lights out we hope you enjoyed it i know we sure did it felt really good to to get back into podcasting Hell yeah and we got oh my god we got so many so many stories planned for you so many crazy and really really scary things we'll be covering (laughs) this year so yeah let us know what you think of the new studio hopefully you like it i know we love it It felt really good to podcast in here definitely it helped kind of bring the yes it's such a vibe up the creepiness a little bit so yeah absolutely loved it but yeah we're on spotify now for video as well so if you haven't checked us out on spotify make sure you're following us over there make sure you subscribe to us on youtube i think we've got like three thousand subscribers to go yeah before we hit 300,000. So help us get there. Yeah. Check us out on YouTube and you just search Lights Out Podcast. We also have all the links in our description and in our show notes. But that is it for us today. Until next time, Lights Out, everybody.